Oh, I'd like to say before I start the reading that uh, uh, you may think I'm playing on the same note here a good deal. Well, I am, and I'm doing it on purpose. (laughs) I'm playing on this note because it's a neglected note in this day and time. You know, sometimes you can neglect something so long, uh, you have to give a little extra emphasis to it. That's the reason you have great uh, movements in this country. For instance... Whenever a great religious movement rise up, it's usually because some gospel truth or Bible truth has been neglected by the other denominations, and then they come and build a church on a certain type of emphasis. Now, if we kept the thing balanced, we wouldn't get in trouble. I've told the students so many times here. I sit down at the piano and take one finger and play half of this verse in the sweet by and by. I just, uh, half of it, as far as I can go, that's playing on the same note over and over and over. But, you know, a great many people sometimes neglect certain notes. And then when somebody comes along and gives them the emphasis they should have, uh, they uh, say, why, he's a fanatic or he's an extremist. And maybe he is. Maybe he is, but he's giving an emphasis that usually needs to be given. Now, I want you to notice the emphasis we've been giving here recently. We emphasize the fact that we need moral backbone and Christian character. If we're going to face the battles, we've got to face for the Lord Jesus Christ in these days in which we live in. And that's what I'm trying to drive home to you because we want to build morale and moral backbone and put muscles in the character and the souls of you young people going out in the world. As I told you yesterday, you just well get ready for it for we're facing these difficulties and trying times. Now, it'd be much easier for me to talk to you along some little popular line, uh, but that's not what we need. We need this emphasis and Christian people need it all over this country. It's especially needed in Christian schools and all other kinds of schools. I want you to notice these verses as we go along. And John answered and said, Master, we saw one casting out devils in thy name, and we forbade him because he followed not us. He didn't belong to our church. He's a Methodist, and we are Baptists. Or he was a Lutheran, and we are Presbyterians. He, he didn't follow us. Well, but he was casting out devils. He was doing the job. Say, you know what the Lord wants? He wants a job done. You know, a man who's unselfishly on the side of Jesus Christ always wants a job done. The job, done. Now, let's remember that. Now, they saw this job. They, they were not so interested in the job the man was doing. They were interested in the fact that he wasn't going along with them, see? Uh, they didn't say, Master, we saw the most wonderful thing you ever heard of in your life. Uh, we met a man up here. He's organized a little school to cast out devils. And he just did the most wonderful thing you ever saw. And he was really delivering, too. He's casting devils out. It was wonderful. Oh, we were so happy, you know, to see that because we felt so at home with him. Uh, but they didn't say that. They said, he wasn't following us. You know, we didn't give him orders. And uh, so we, we said, you stop that thing. Stop what? Stop casting out devils because your name's not on our record. And Jesus said to him, uh, forbid them not, for he that's not against us is for us. Other words, if he's in that business, he's on our side, whether he follows our crowd or not. Uh, he's one of us anyhow. Uh, whether he joins our special church or not, or lines up our special denomination, he's one of us. Oh, may God help you young people in this institution always have that kind of outlook on the Christian program. Uh, you know, it doesn't matter who he is. If he's a decent fellow and he's engaged in God's business, whether he's your crowd or not, you respect him. You know, this building a narrow ecclesiastical machine in this country that draws a line around itself and said, well, if he's not one of us, we don't give him orders. There we are. 
And that's not the Christ side of the question. Jesus Christ took exactly the opposite position. And it came to pass when the time was come, they should be received up, he steadfastly set his face to go to Jerusalem. Now listen, young people. From the morning of eternity, Jesus Christ had before him a Jerusalem. The lamb slain the foundation of the world. You know, the sin is old, but the blood's old. Before there was ever any rebellion in the universe against Almighty God, or before sin ever entered this universe, God knew and knowing he was coming, had a lamb slain the foundation of the world. And Jesus Christ had his eye on Jerusalem. He's going that way. Now, I wish you'd get the picture. What a wonderful Savior he was if you go along here and see how anybody else would have been irritated. Yeah, he was marching out to his own funeral, so to speak. Going to his own grave. Of course, he hadn't got that yet, but Jerusalem was always before him. A hilltop out there on which there'd be an old rugged cross. There he was, and they were taking up their time in such non-essentials. You know, if we could get the big things in life ahead of us, the big view, the big vision, the little things that people underscore and magnify don't seem to be so important. So he had his face going that way. And now listen. And they sent messengers before his face. And they went and entered the village of the Samaritans to make ready for him. But they did not receive him because his face was fixed as though he's going to Jerusalem. The Samaritans didn't have much to do with him, you know. And so he said, well, he's going to Jerusalem. You can't go with us. If he holds a meeting in that town, we'll never have it. If he lines up with that crowd over yonder, that's where he wants to go. Let him go. Say, that sounds like current literature, doesn't it? You know, the more you read the Bible, the more you know human nature hasn't changed. It's just the same still. So they said, it won't have anything to do with it. All right. When the disciples, James and John, saw this, they said, Lord, will thou that we can man the fire to come down from heaven and consume even as the last day? I don't much blame them feeling like that. All human me to say that. like to put some fire on them myself. Naturally, I'm talking about the human impulse. Here, Jesus Christ... Because he looked like he's going to Jerusalem, they said, put on him in Samaria. Let him go somewhere else. He runs with that crowd over there and stops in this country and looks like he's going to Jerusalem. Let him go on. We don't want him. He said, let's burn him up. You know, it takes a lot of patience in this country to deal with people when you're going to the Jesus way. It takes a lot of grace. It's not easy. All right. And he turned and rebuked them, said, Ye know not what manner of spirits ye are. Be patient. Poor, blind man. They don't understand. They don't see. Be patient. The hardest task in the world is for a Christian to be patient. When you have convictions and you know the truth and know where you're going, what's ahead of you, you're going the right way to be patient. That's the hardest job I ever had on this earth. I'm making a confession this morning of my greatest weakness, impatience. You think anybody on earth would have enough sense to know better than these people have? See, people sometimes you think knew so much and they know so little. And he said, we'll burn them up. He said, let them alone. Let them go. You don't know what you're asking. For the Son of Man is not to come destroy men's lives, but to save them. I came to die on the cross to save people, not to destroy them. To give them a break, to give them a chance. Hey, you want to burn them up because they won't entertain me. Let us stop in Samaria somewhere. And it came to pass as they went on the way, a certain man said to him, Lord, I'll follow you where you go. See, the line was drawn. Everything was ready. On the way to Jerusalem, Samaritans would let him stop. 
Because he looked like he'd go in Jerusalem. Face steadfastly set. Somebody come along and said, I'll tell you what I'll do. I'm going with you. I'm for you. These little narrow good-for-nothing nobodies, I'll line up for you. This is a good impulsive fellow. He's a fellow that came to Bob Jones University one time. He said, I, you know, I like that school down there. I heard about it. And you know, I'm, I'm for that sort of thing. I'm going with them. See? Oh, how he blustered around. Jesus said to him, you don't know what you're talking about. I have nothing to give you. I have any denomination machine where you can get a job. I haven't got any big ecclesiastical power. Listen, let's understand. I'm speaking reverently. If Jesus Christ was in America today, just as he walked through Palestine in his day, they'd have branded him as a freelance. In the estimation of the Pharisees and Sadducees, religious today, Jesus Christ was the greatest freelance the world ever saw. Now, we use freelance sometimes another way. But as religious leaders use it, he was the greatest freelance the world ever had. You know what a freelance is to a religious leader? It's a fellow that comes along and does it different from you. And doesn't ask you if he can do it. That's a freelance. You know, the world has been in a terrible fix if there have been any freelances in it in that particular the Old Testament prophets of the call of God Almighty to be prophets, most of them were freelancers. God picked them up in strange places. They showed up anytime, anywhere, and they told kings what to do. The prophets of God. Freelancers. In the Old Testament, when things functioned all right, priests went along, everything was all right. Things got wrong. The thing wasn't functioning. God Almighty saw a man plowing. God said, uh, say, mister, turn him loose those plow hands. I need somebody like you. But he said, I didn't ask for a machine, man. The priests are the machine, man. Come on here, I need you. You go up yonder and tell them I said this. Well, it would have been a bad fix if God never called any freelancers into the business. What would the world have been if there never been a freelance Martin Luther in it? A freelance John Wesley that was driven out of his church and stood on his father's tombstone to preach. Billy Sunday was God's freelance called off the baseball dime. You know, it's uh, so easy to talk about freelancers. They're, they're these men that God wants to our calls and, and they'd have branded Jesus Christ like that. Here he was marching to his cross and, and yet his personality put a spell over everybody. There's one thing they couldn't do. They couldn't get rid of him. Wherever he went, the issue came up. They said, he can't stay in Samaria. And the man said, I'll go with you. No matter where you're going, I'm going to him. Jesus said, you don't know what you're up against. I haven't any priestly position here to give you in the regular setup. I'm not as well off as the foxes as far as this world's concerned. They've got holes out on the mountain. And those birds that I made and put wings on them so they can fly and gave them an air in which to fly and limbs of trees on which to sit and sing and swing. I gave them all of it. But they have nests and I have them. Want to go now? 
Say, listen, it never has been easy to get leaders. You know the average fellow takes to the cover when the battle gets hot. You know how to get leaders? Don't say, well, I tell you, sure, we'll have a good time at Bob Jones University. Don't tell them that. That won't get you a leader. You tell them you can't smoke a cigarette on Bob Jones University campus. You've got to live up to rules. It'll be a hard life for you. You know, that, that eliminates the no good. The fellow has anything to him. He said, I don't like that. That's the way to eliminate it. You know, I can tell a lot of these fellows a lot of little, let them in on a lot of little things. They, they talk about popularizing Christianity, popularizing education, make it popular. Oh, you'll have the best time of your life, eh? You bait them with that hook and the folks you bait won't be any good when you pull them in. But you say to them, this may lead you to death. This may lead you to a cross. This may make you sleep outdoors. This may make you have to put a rock under your head instead of a pillar. Fellow says, you know, it's worth it. You know, that's soon worth that kind of business. It's right anyhow. And I, I don't like it. Don't let a fox have any advantage over me. I don't like for a bird to get the brakes on me. But I believe I'll go along. <laughs> you'll get a good job if you'll do this. All right. That's beating the place. That's beating itself. Lord. God help us in Bob Jones University never to pull down the standards to the low level of human selfishness. If you can't rally many people, don't drag the flag down. Jesus didn't turn around and say, I congratulate you. We'll have a wonderful time. Be perfectly lovely. He said, you won't be as comfortable at night as a fox. And a bird will have a nicer bed than you. And he said to another, he saw another, he said, you follow me. And he said, Lord, you know, my father just died. And if you give me a little time to go home and bury him and wind up the affairs and get everything in shape, I'll, I'll come back. You know, when you think of humanity and human nature, you're not surprised Jesus produced some friction, are you? You know, when you just take that and analyze that to the average man, state to the average man, it sounds rather cool, doesn't it? And yet that came from the lips of the tenderest soul the world ever knew. The one that put arms around babies and out of babies out left mothers to get to him. The one that had a friend that died and he had power to raise him and yet wept when he saw his sister grieving and weep. One that saw a crowd out yonder scattered like sheep, not having a shepherd, and looked at them and was moved with compassion towards them. And here he says to a man, uh, you want to go bury your father? Now, wait a minute. Plenty of fellas can bury your daddy. 
You know, a sinner can bury the dead. A sinner who's dead in sin can bury the man who's physically dead. But can't anybody, everybody go with me, you see. Most anybody, listen, you don't have to be a Christian to throw dirt on a coffin. Anybody, a drunkard, if you can get him sober, can bury the dead. A publican at receipt of custom can get off a few minutes to bury the dead. Nothing big about that. But you listen to me. You let them do that. I said, come with me, come with me. I'd like to go as a missionary, but you know, I hate to leave Mama. You won't be any good if you go as a missionary. Say, don't you ever underestimate the character of the people that walk with Jesus Christ in you. Don't underestimate the apostle Peter. He wasn't any weakling. He had weaknesses in his makeup as all men have. The kind of call that Jesus Christ made and the standards he set up didn't appeal to weaklings. Don't you ridicule anybody. A lot of bad folks in the world that are strong. They're sinners that are strong in their makeup. Listen, they have character, some of them, but it's bad character. What standard? Let the neighbors over there, they're all sinners. They're dead. You let them bury the dead father. Come on, go with me. Come on. Don't there's time to waste. This is big business. You know, I was criticized one time. Because I didn't close the meeting and go to the funeral of a loved one. I was off holding revival. Christ had come to the meeting. This loved one was dear to me. But I couldn't. I'd have to close the meeting if I went. We right near the close of it. I called him up over the phone, some of my friends, some of my loved ones, and said... I couldn't do any good. If I could do any good, I could, I'd come, but I can do some good here. I'd be paying respect to the one I love at the funeral, but... Say, listen, young people, listen to me. There's only one big thing for you to consider, and that is the will of God Almighty for your life. It's not where you live and what you eat and how comfortable you are or whether you're comfortable at all. There's one thing and only one thing, and that is, Oh, God, what do you want me to do? That's all. And another said, Lord, I'll follow you, but I can't start right now. Said, you know, uh, I got to go bid farewell with my home folks. Got a sweet old daddy, and I got a date with a girl over there I've been going with, and I go explain it to her till I've been converted, and we'd have to put our wedding off till I finished school. I like talking over with it. You go talk no with her and you'll, you won't put it off.
Best way to do is to ride you putting it off. Don't give her a chance to look at you with eyes swimming in tears. Now, he said, after I go home and tell my dad goodbye and have a nice family dinner, invite them all in, you know, we have such good eating at home. Now, this is, <laughs> this is, it's not here in the Bible, but it's in human nature, what I'm telling you. You know, you know, my mother is the best cook you ever saw in your life. I'd like to have one good meal. God, you say the foxes will be better off than we are. And the birds will have advantages over us. I heard you say it. And you know, I would like to have one good home-cooked dinner, eating in a dining room at a school. You know, I'd just get one good meal at home. Just sit down one time, have a good meal. And I'd like to have a nice visit there and have a family reunion, tell them all goodbye and kiss my mother. And then I'll come along. But you know, something else bigger than your call. Something else more important is home and family love and kisses. Jesus said, uh, No man, having put his hand in the plow, Looking back, is fit for the kingdom of God. You're not my kind. You don't belong to the crowd I'm looking for. I'm looking for somebody that when I say, Forward, march! Marches. I'm looking for somebody that when I say, Let's enter the battle, ready to go with me! I'm on my way to Jerusalem. My face is fixed that way and nothing can turn me back. The devil tried it in the wilderness of Judea. And on the king of a temple and I was offered everything to give up that cross. But I came to die on it. And don't you Talk about going back and tell them goodbye. I've been away from my home for over 30 years. Down here in this earth in human form when I was in the bosom of the Father. Always have been with. I came down to this world to live among men. The humiliation. Look at me. You'd never realize what I was back up yonder. Back up there, walking down streets of shining gold under cloudless skies. With angels bowing in my presence and crying, holy, holy, holy. Here I am, can't get a place in Samaria to stop. And you talk about going home. You talk about kissing Mother Goodbye. You talk about turning back old time and I fight. 
and give me fellowship. And ho, when I left all that, been kicked around, cuffed about, say, listen, the kingdom of God isn't like you think it is. It costs blood and Calvary and tragedy and suffering and agony. And you want to go back home when duty calls you away. It's all right to go home when duty doesn't call you away. Listen, it's a sin to go home when duty calls you somewhere else. It's a sin not to be in Africa as a missionary if God Almighty wants you there. It's a sin not to be what God wants you to be. It's a sin to take orders from the flesh, from ecclesiasticism, from any sort of source in the world unless those orders are in line with the will and purpose and call of God for your life. What are you going to do about it? You know, we're going to keep this challenge before you here this year. We started in this year. We believe under the direction of God Almighty to lift the flag as we've never lifted. What you going to do about it? Kiss mother? See dad? Go home? I'll go with him. You know, I was meant to talk to you this morning on plowing. I'm an expert in that line. I was a full plow hand when I was nine years old. I turned loose the plow handles a little before sundown and went to a revival that my daddy took me to in the country and I was 11 years old and I saved. No man can plow a straight furrow in any field looking back. You try to plow a furrow looking back at the old home. Back there at home when when you're supposed to be plowing. See how crooked the furrow will be. Listen. And if you are going to plow for God Almighty, you've got to plow a straight for God's plowman, if they please, God have to plow straight for them. Straight for them. Never look back if a fella whistles at you. Keep going. Keep going. Keep the road straight. Oh, how many Christians I've known plowed all over the field. Over here, over yonder, back in line, then off. Pull the old mule back and get him on the line again, then this way. Pass the shade tree where you can stop and rest, say, whoa. Going to get that shade and rest. 
watermelon over yonder on this side and the patch. It's pretty hot. The sun's been shining on it, but looks good. You see a watermelon. Whoa. There isn't a plowman in this country that could keep his job and plow as crooked a furrow as the average Christian in this country plows in God's field along the line of God's will. He's always looking back. Listen, don't you read in the Bible, and I want to preach a sermon on sometime, plowing in hope. The hope of the plowman. It'll be a green field someday. Waving fields of grain. Barn will be full. It may be hard plowing. It may be tough work. But your day's coming. If you won't look back. You'll have a nice time someday in green pastures and walk by crystal fountains. Your day's coming. Don't you look back. I said over the radio this morning, if we look backward... We all see things sometimes that worry us. If we always keep looking forward, we get discouraged sometimes with the distance ahead of us and the difficulties. There's only one look for you, and that's the upward look. And say, am I right so far, Jesus? Am I doing all right? I'm doing the best I can. Can you give me a little wisdom to do a little better? And the toils of the road will seem nothing when you get to the end of the way. Oh, Lord God. Help us to be faithful. Help us to be true. Help us never to waver. Put into our souls an immunity. Some kind of a heavenly something. The spirit and power of a risen Christ. So we won't look back. Keep us true until the Furrow is plowed and the field's finished. And God says, well done. We pray this prayer in the ever-precious name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.